1: Welcome back. Friday, September 23rd, 2022. I am Seth Liebson. It's your Open Lines Friday. The number is 602 960 That's 602 960 If you'd like to bring something up or weigh in on something that's been brought up. It has been brought up here a lot over the past few weeks that Andrew Beiper, the old Andrew Breitbart line that politics is downstream from culture. Decades before Breitbart, Bart postulated his theorem, I've often reminded that Professor Daniel Patrick Moynihan wrote, quote, the central conservative truth is that it is culture, not politics, that determines the success of a society. The central liberal truth is that politics can change a culture and theoretically save it from itself. Close quote. A few of you over the past few weeks have asked me to explain all this a bit and a bit more in the context of what we're seeing, discussing, and debating just now. Back during the 1800s, English philosopher John Stuart Mill wrote that, "...war in a good cause is not the greatest evil which a nation can suffer. War is an ugly thing, but not the ugliest of things. The decayed and degraded state of moral and patriotic feeling, which thinks nothing worth a war, is worse." Quote, of course, there are different kinds of wars. There are traditional and kinetic wars, as in World Wars One and Two, And then there are other kinds, given appellations to suit energies exerted on behalf of more domestic or social causes, some more serious than others. Think the war on drugs or the war for the soul of the nation or the war on poverty or the war on boys or the culture wars or some other related designated crime against society or conscience. Those wars don't always meet the criteria of degraded and decayed states of patriotic feeling, though. But they do have to do with decayed and degraded states of moral feeling. Lately, I've been speaking a good deal about how you lose a country and a culture. And I think my working hypothesis is that you have to lose the culture before you lose the country. You can lose countries and keep the culture, especially in real and kinetic wars, Was the Polish or Czech culture lost, for example, when those countries were lost, that is, taken over by the Soviet Union? It was those cultures, perhaps represented by the poets and labor leaders in those countries, that kept the faith and liberation alive and helped defeat their country's respective takeovers. Think Baklav Havel and Milan Kundera and Lech Walesa and others. But if you lose the culture you are fast on your way to losing your country because you're losing its conscience. For it is the cultural mores that keep a country coherent in all the forms of that word, not only as a basis for understandings and domestic tranquility that lead to adherence, that is the absence of a civil war or balkanization, but also coherence in that there is an an identifiable set of mores associated with the country that make the country a country. For example, here, without the values and virtues of equality and liberty, there would be no real meaning to the United States of America or meaning to being an American. From those cultural norms or desiderata, we base our politics and thus the structure of our politics politics and thus the structure of our government and civility on our governors as much as the governed. Other structures get erected. Auxiliary precautions is the phrase of James Madison's I like. Think the family, the school, the laws and what we countenance and what we sanction, and how strongly or severely, and the way we entertain ourselves, and, of course, how we allow people to worship as well as if we worship in the wars for those things, campaigns for moral character, if you will, we don't get such bright lines and recognizable or universal acknowledgments of wrongs deserving a response as you get with a kinetic war that usually starts with a terrible phys- physical attack or an armed invasion of sovereign or even disputed borders. In the kinds of cultural wars I'm describing, usually a trend is observed, a negative trend, and it is worried about, and either arrested or debated, or or accelerated. Take the issue of racism and segregation for just a brief moment. We noted as far back as the 1990s that something odd was afoot with racial study centers on campuses and racially separated graduation ceremonies. Soon it also became racially segregated dormitories and then study centers and then curriculum and classrooms. Each step along the way, when those committed to equality as instructed by the long line of thinking that ran from the Declaration of Independence to Frederick Douglass to Abraham Lincoln to Thurgood Marshall to Martin Luther King, when those instructed by that line of thinking started raising concerns back in the early 1990s, they were mostly ignored, shunted aside or condemned. Today, we now live in a country that is segregating by race on a whole multitude of levels, from acceptances to medical schools and residencies, to who gets fired first in corporations based on needs to restructure, to who will get a bank loan, to who will get hired as an airline pilot. If you think about it in education, we saw it in critical race theory and the sexualization of our children in the very early grades. Those who saw the early warning signs and raised the early alarms were either ignored or condemned. And that comes in the guise of what I call the progressive dialectic. First, deny what is being charged. Then, when the evidence is irrefutable, blame those who are making the charges and raising the flags of concern. Then, third, mandate in law or policy the exact thing that was being denied two steps earlier. Think Critical race theory doesn't exist in schools, only law schools. Oh, we are teaching whites to be ashamed of their race in early grades, but that is absolutely right due to the racial privilege and systemic racism. And then third, now you must assure us that you are teaching this. Rinse and repeat for the sexualization of our children. That's how the dialectic works for the progressives. Soon enough, if you move from, in this example a principle of equality and desegregation, trying to move the law and culture in a direction of non-discrimination, you find the law and the culture slamming the brakes today, doing a 180-degree turn. And in that turn, you lose the principle of equality, hewed and honed for the better part of close to 200 years. If you think about the wingspan from our 1776 founding to, say, something like the Civil Rights Act of 1964, with a lot of flags planted in the law and culture along the way. You see this with how we treat children. Starting off with a rugged upbringing in a developing country, first in the naval yards and farms, in and along the East Coast, to the taming of the West and everything in between. Noting, as societies can, there are tendencies to breed callousness and to learn social and psychological lessons along the growth of any culture or society. We started realizing the need to protect children more and more, either from labor exploitation or their physical and mental exploitation, as societies also can have tendencies to brutalize or exploit. As Reinhold Niebuhr put it, man's tendency to injustice. So we started protecting our children with child labor laws and then physical health and safety laws. And we became more and more understanding of their mental and social development, especially given the temptations to growing brutalizations like pornography or other adult themes that lead to and led to arrested development and worse, more serious psychological problems and even criminal behavior. Today it's all been forgotten or reversed, just as the racial equality commitment, with books and themes being taught and expressed to children that it took decades and decades of social and psychological science to protect against. So now we have books for five-year-olds, and lots of them, that exposed them to confusing and confused sexual themes that two decades ago would have been thought of as age inappropriate and perhaps even illegal as a form of child pornography or at a minimum sexual misconduct. And those books are so far advanced in this direction now that I can't even repeat most of their content over our airwaves because, well, at least for today, the FCC thinks there is something important about our adult cultural, social, and mental health. All of this in a society that taught itself that how we teach children and the imagery we use with them will matter for good and for ill. So now we find ourselves in an odd place where a moment ago we expressed disbelief that the racialization and sexualization of our children was taking place. Those practicing it denied it. And now find ourselves in a place where it's mandates or shaming not to racialize and sexualize our children. And we gaze around the country and our culture and continually ask if we recognize either one anymore. When we drive stakes through the heart of our most established norms, customs, desires, aspirations and laws, you simply cannot maintain coherence or adherence. Those are great words, by the way, coherence and adherence. Great words from the Latin to mean sticking together. Too often we like to say we are one nation with two cultures. There is, however, no common culture anymore, or seemingly even any agreement on what our cultural beacons and guidelines should be or consist of. And that bodes ill for even the thought that we are still one nation and that's what it means to say that politics is downstream from culture or that the central conservative truth is that it is culture not politics that determines the success of a society i'm Seth Leipson 602 508 we we'll be right back Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. For those of you looking for a remarkable investment opportunity with a great return for the investors, check out my friends at Y-Refi. They are offering up a fixed no-load interest rate up to ten and a quarter percent for investors, all in a secure, collateralized portfolio. Y-Refi, a due diligence-approved firm, is just made up of investors who do really well by doing good for others, and you can be a part of that, too. Check them out at investyrefi.com, the word invest, the letter yref com, or give them a call at 855-316-3087, 855-316-3087. I was just, <laughs> Bill has me laughing today. <laughs> I don't know why I find this funny, uh, but um, I, I found this clip, I, it's going around on on Twitter, uh, of an interview with Sylvester Stallone speaking of the culture, and it's 1977, just after the release of Rocky, and you know it—it's it, a boy. You just don't hear actors talking like this anymore. Would you? Would you indulge me just a moment to hear what uh, even actors who are still with us sounded like uh, not that long ago? A lot of you will uh, remember when Rocky was released. Uh, I actually do. But uh, this is just... Take a moment. You've
0: uh, written several scripts before, but was there any special reason for you to write this one, to write Rocky? Well, I felt at the time that cinema, at least, the movies I had been seeing, were at an all-time low. It was Everything was anti-society, anti-Christ, anti-government, anti-everything, and there was no one to root for. And I also feel that films are very cyclic, so... I wanted to get back into the cycle of uh, the films of the '40s and the '50s, where people say, "Hey, gee, I missed the good old films." Yet Hollywood hasn't taken heed and hasn't made any good old-fashioned type films where uh, morality was at the forefront. So I took the opportunity to write this particular film. Of course, being somewhat selfish, because I had myself in mind for it, but that was the, the main motivation.
1: They go on and on. It's a it's a BBC interview in a show called Film '77. I presume. The show did well. The next year's iteration would be called Film Seventy Eight. I don't know, but interesting to hear Sylvester Stallone talk about that in nineteen seventy seven. Has to be one of the greatest, if not biggest, box office and familiar movies of all time. Has to be Rocky and certainly the franchise. And he wrote it originally uh, because uh, he said he thought Hollywood was failing in giving us movies of uh, that 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 portrayed good character. Uh, Movies that weren't, he put it, antichrist, his phrase, and uh, movies that gave you something to root for. In other words, opposing the cynics and the dampers and the degradations and the critics. Uh, of of um, of society and of culture, I had never heard him like that uh, before. I'd never I I haven't paid enough attention till, to Sylvester, to Sylvester Stallone uh, to know that that was uh, in the background of the reason for making Rocky. When you think about it, it certainly is true, isn't it? And when it came to uh, future iterations of Rocky, they did have, uh, foreign policies to them. Communism versus America, didn't they? Uh, Bill, you were furiously looking something up. I think I know what you were probably doing, but do you want to share? It? Were you looking something up on Rocky? No, okay. Uh, my mistake, but you s- huh? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, evidently, not all of his movies were great. Okay, let's stipulate that. Not every show is great, and not every movie is great, even when written or directed by the same by the same start, but uh, but I guess you were telling me, and this was I was laughing a little bit. Uh, you were telling me that Adam Carolla had been talking about uh, a Sylvester Stallone movie a lot lately. I guess I missed it totally. But what was it? Was Cobra? I, I vaguely, I, I vaguely remember it, but but what, what did you say it was about? This just this has me laughing. I can't tell you why. I've oh, I have had nothing really but coffee, coffee today. Trust me. Go ahead, S- say it again.
2: A renegade cop who doesn't play by
0: the rules.
1: About a renegade cop who doesn't play
0: by the rules. Okay,
1: (laughs) So the reason that has me laughing is not only the tautology within that, the renegade cop who doesn't play by the rules, but it just has me laughing is maybe not so unique a cop movie. Uh, When you think about that theme, that's not going to be the greatest seller because – it seems like every cop movie or movie about police is about the renegade cop who doesn't play by the rules, right? Everything from Serpico to any Clint Eastwood. I just think that's funny. I don't know why I do. I just think it is. But uh it was interesting that uh, to me at least that that there that there was an interest even when the culture is in um even in the culture – when the culture is in an adir, taking off of what I was speaking about in my first uh, segment, in my monologue, there are areas, there are pockets, there are streams uh, running against that countercultural narrative, running against the tide, uh, pushing as hard as it can against the culture, either yelling stop or providing something better and different. Um uh, and you know what? You got an unleashing in the 80s of a lot of movies like that. So we are now, I think it's fair to say, fully out of the summer and the summer months and summer blockbusters. And I ask you if there was any movie that did that other than, uh, other than Top Gun, Tom Cruise's movie, Top Gun, which when I talk to people who saw Top Gun about it, Roughly, people between Bill's and my age, and we're—I don't know—we're somewhere in the—I don't know—seven-year wingspan. We're probably seven years apart, or somewhere in there, aren't we? Aren't we, Bill? Wouldn't you say somewhere in that neighborhood? Anyway, anyone I talked to between Bill's and my age group almost said the exact same thing, which was, "It reminds me of what good movies were like back in the early '80s." It uh, it remind there was there was obviously heroism. There was obviously a good guy. The good guy was someone who uh, represented the norms of what you would want in a hero. They didn't make the bad guy the good guy. They didn't corrupt the good guy. It was just pure good and bad in uh, in an entertaining form. In an entertaining form, which had pockets also uh, of humor and something for you to root against and something to put you on the edge of your seat. Is it? Too, it, it, it's odd to me that when you have an entire industry like Hollywood um, that has been being begged for movies like this for years now, never mind coming out of you know the COVID shutdowns and lockdowns, just been begging for it. Really, only 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 one movie could do it. Only one movie dared to try and do it, and it was a star from again, in Tom Cruise's case, the early 1980s. It's just interesting when you think about Hollywood versus America, an old theme and best-selling book title by Michael Medved. When you just think about Hollywood versus America, uh, you offer people this good stuff. You offer them this great stuff. You offer them these uh, polar choices these moral categorical choices between good or bad, entertaining and boring, pseudo-sophisticated and sophisticated, forces of composition versus forces of decomposition, Medved was still right and is still right today. They show up. They still want it. It begs the question who's really in charge of this culture after all. I'm Seth. We'll be right back.
0: So You're Do you know you have an attitude problem? Yeah, but it's just a little.
1: Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Gold has been used as money for nearly 3,000 years, and today still remains a common-sense investment that's simple and straightforward. You don't need pushy commission salespeople to tell you why you should buy gold. You probably already want it as a great hedge against inflation, as a great way to protect your Savings, investment, and in future, which is why I own gold and other precious metals from the Midas Gold Group. So does Seb Gorka. So do thousands of you already. The veteran owned Midas Gold Group. If you're interested in gold or other precious metals and they have the range, give our uh, friends at Midas Gold Group a call or check them out online at MidasGoldGroup.com. MidasGoldGroup.com or give them a call as I mentioned at four eight zero three six zero three thousand. That's four eight zero. 360-3000 and talk to them as they will be happy to talk to you about the possibilities of precious metals in your portfolio. Um, it's, um, it's, it, it's interesting to see today particularly a lot of Democratic senators and congresspe- congressmen and women – uh, on social media, standing or claiming they are standing with uh, the protesters in uh, Iran, as you know, as I hope you know, if you listen to the show this week or if you listen to Erica Sagraya, we had on earlier this week as well, uh, there is a lot of brave protesting against the regime in Iran today, including the torching of statues of the malocracy, etc and It is interesting to see on social media, as I say, a lot of these Lawmakers, uh, pr- pr- primarily Democrats, it's funny why I'm seeing only Democrats and not Republicans, uh, saying they uh, stand in sympathy with the protesters in Iran, perhaps because Republicans don't feel they need to. They've been talking about uh, the terror and tyranny of Iran for decades. It, it, it falls on fairly uh, cold hearts and, and 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 deaf ears, I think. As this is a party, the Democratic Party, that is committed to shoveling tens and tens of billions of dollars to the Iranian regime uh, in the name of a nuclear deal, a deal that uh, is unnecessary and a deal that will add to continued uh, continued obfuscation and continued uh, enrichment of not only Iran's uh, nuclear uh, reactors and uranium, but enrichment of themselves. And uh, the with the legal cover of being able to hide and conceal what they are doing. The reason I say it's an unnecessary deal is you can already hold Iran accountable, and uh, hold Iran, Iran to what it's already signed decades ago the non non-prolif- the non proliferation treaty. If it were serious about not becoming a nuclear powered state, it would simply abide by the international non proliferation treaty that it signed onto decades ago it doesn't get to break that law in order to hold hostage the rest of the world or Europe billions and billions tens of billions hundreds in fact of billions of dollars to sign a new agreement just to keep it good with the agreement that it already signed but that's just one part of it the sanctimony of the democrats that falls on um, on cold hearts and deaf ears i think the other part of it is if united states muscle moral muscle or military muscle is to have any meaning whatsoever, is going to have any meaning whatsoever, then it has to show a couple of things this country does. It has to show uh, seriousness, moral seriousness on the foreign policy stage uh, and consistency. And it has to show that we have a strong, not just moral force, but military force. We have to have a strong military, a military that is as serious as the threats that we may have to be asked to respond to or, better yet, prevent so they don't materialize in the first place. Weakness tempts aggression. In other words, if you can stop something by uh, carrying a big stick and speaking softly in the first place, so much the better. We have been tracking uh, for some years on this show and uh, we've been doing it in writing as well how uh, how how hollowing out uh, the upper echelons the uh, officer class particularly the general class of the United States military has been to itself not only uh, do you get quotes from uh, people like uh, former chief of staff of the Army, George Casey, who thinks diversity is more important in the military than force protection, but you get General Milley, who is the current chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, telling us that he reads Marxism so as to better understand the American people. Now you're getting something at the Air Force Academy on top of this I just learned about the Washington Free Beacon is writing about. We'll bring it up with you when we come right back as I hear the music here going into break. Again, if you have anything you'd like to weigh in on on this Open Lines Friday, we are at 602-508-0960. also, have you seen the new commitment to America Kevin McCarthy and the GOP caucus have put out? We'll talk about that, too. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Cool Touch Air Conditioning, Heating, and Plumbing, the only company I use for any of those needs. I think I've used them for all of them, as have my friends, and they think the same thing of Cool Touch I do. It really is the best, and they are available to you 24 7. If you have any air conditioning, heating, or plumbing issues, uh, perhaps an inspection, an installation, a break, a repair, you name it, something new installed, something old that needs uh, updating and fixing, cool Touch is the company for you. You can check them out at CoolTouch.us, that's CoolTouch.us, or give them a call at 623-748-4942, 623-748-4942. Uh, Before I go to the calls, if you're on hold, stay with me. I'll be right with you. I just wanted to complete uh, the latest example of the uh, failure and uh, failing of our United States uh, military at its leadership levels, at its officer class levels. The U.S. Air Force Academy, the Washington Free Beacon is reporting, is training its cadets, cadets to use inclusive language that bars them from calling people terrorists Or using male and female identifiers, according to an official presentation being used by the elite military school and obtained by the Free Beacon. I don't even want the Pentagon doing presentations like this. Here's the presentation's title, Diversity, Inclusion, What It Is, Why We Care, and What We Can Do. It takes cadets through a series of exercises meant to eradicate their use of gender pronouns and reinforce the need for inclusive language that avoids stereotypes, bias, and microaggressions. Can they deal with macroaggressions? Maybe. Maybe can we focus on that instead of worrying about microaggressions? All right, I'm sorry. Let me go to the calls before I get too angry. Mike is in Maricopa. Hello, Mike.
0: (laughs) Oh, you cracked
2: me up, yeah, before you go to microaggressions. Seth, I am doing excellent. It's Friday, baby.
1: Yes, it is. Yes, it is.
2: Okay, I sent you two
1: emails. Yes, I started reviewing one of them. Uh, The one I started reviewing uh, for the audience and uh, for the purposes of your call, Mike, uh, was the um, House Republican, uh, what was it, the Foreign Affairs Committee report on the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Correct. That's really an eye-opener, folks. Uh, Go ahead, Mike. You talk about what you want to talk about, and I'll fill in the blanks after. Yeah,
2: just – because I sent you that because I had talked to you the other day about it, and you said get the information on what you're looking for. So I sent you that email today, and then I says, okay. Because I had dug for an hour the other day, and I could not find anything. So I And I found a CNN article, and it mentioned this. So actually I went to the House Foreign Affairs Committee Republicans in my search engine, And there was one that popped up first, and I clicked on that, and it wouldn't download just to get to the committee itself, and so I backed out, went down to another uh, access to there, and then i got to there there was a search engine and all i did is typed in afghan withdrawal report yep. and the thing popped up Good. and and so my i'm i'm glad you got that i sent you that oh uh, it's an the, eye the opener PDF you know course.
1: it's a real oh, eye yeah. opener <laughs> i want to commend it to the audience uh, hold on mike i want to commend it to the audience because as much as i thought I remembered from the promises the Biden administration and Joe Biden himself were making ahead of the withdrawal. They do a wonderful job of refreshing and reminding me of their statements and quotes of things I had already forgotten. Anyway, go ahead, sir.
2: Yes. So for the most part, I noticed that, uh, and yes, I found it in some news articles, but a lot of times they'll have a hyperlink. It says, if you full report, click here. Uh And I noticed that there was nothing. I just had to dig and look and I just couldn't find it. And I came to the conclusion and the realization that they didn't want you to look at the report because it looks bad on President Biden. And what a lot of it boils down to is this whole operation was run by the State Department, yep. and now we're going to rely on the State Department to run a military operation? That's why we noticed that, of course, when they decided to pull out, we cleaned out the embassy, the State Department people yeah. got an airplane, yeah. Yeah. and they waved goodbye, yeah. and the rest of you people, you're going to fend for yourself. And that's what's going on, and that's why we're not hearing anything about it. Over to you, Sam No,
1: well, thank you for that, Mike. Stay with me, because One of the most upsetting things about all of it, there is so much upsetting about this, um, including, you know, the 20 years we were there and the sacrifice so many Americans and allies made first Americans, then our allies made on behalf of something that ended so ignominiously. But then also you look at what we left behind. The most heartbreaking thing, it starts with the report on what uh, about the girls we left behind. And, you know, it's just it's so sad to me. That we have a movement in this country that calls itself and speaks on behalf of uh, feminism or women in pink or, you know, those hat heads I don't like talking about that sometimes you'll hear a guest talk about. You know what I mean. Uh, They have nothing to say about these women. They have nothing to say about the women in Iran who are risking their lives right now on the streets of Tehran and elsewhere. Nothing to say about the administration and what it left uh, women to fend and fight for themselves for. Afghanistan, as I understand, it, is now the only country in the world that does not allow women to go to school. We made it a country that did allow women to go to school. We made that happen. We made that happen. But because this happened under Joe Biden's watch, the feminist movement in this country will still talk about the the uh, the, uh, the the crimes of Donald Trump. It's it's really really not only an inconsistency. It's not even a hypocrisy. It's a surrender and resignation of any moral credibility or authority the feminist left has in this country. Really, it is. They have no moral or credible authority with me anymore. Absolutely. And I would
2: encourage everybody to go out there and dig up this report. It's very damning to the current administration. And I suspect that that's why we're, we only heard a little chirp about it on one day and they moved. And it, it this thing... This thing came out at the end of August. It's only you know a couple three weeks old, so it's not something that happened twenty years ago or something like that. This is now. I, I was when I was looking around previously. Uh, we've mentioned the Congressional Research Service, yeah. And I found a lot of reports on Afghanistan, but they came out in the immediate aftermath yeah. about the weapons and secure information and stuff. But I could not find this report. So Seth and I did our research. We found it. No, I'm glad.
1: I'm so glad, Mike, that you did it. Um, And I want to make a a comment. Thank you, by the way, sir, for your your, uh, persistence on this. Um, I want to make another comment and don't know if it's true you. I I, I spend a lot of time uh, doing research and writing um, for uh, just a lot of different things I'm involved in. One of the things I have noticed, and I don't know if any of you have found it true in your lives as well, do you really, it, it used to be so much easier, so much easier using search engines to get the research you know is out there, to get the documents you know are out there, to get the things you need to uh, educate yourself and to make the points you want to make. It has become, strangely, with the expansion of information, it has become strangely Of late, last couple months, I've noticed this much more difficult to get research that tilts or bends in a conservative direction or substantiates conservative truths. I don't know if anyone else is having that problem. I certainly am. It's addressed a tad in the new Republican uh, Kevin McCarthy's uh, Republican commitment to America. We'll get into more of that in a moment, too. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for the rest. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Leibson Show. Uh, Shorter segment. I just – every time I listen to Dennis Prager, I learn something. I learned uh, two things listening uh, to him today. It wasn't exactly his show. It was an adjunct to his show. On his show, he was responding to a podcast, a left-wing podcast called The Young Turks. They had been going after him for, uh, I guess, a couple of days. And he restated what he will often state when someone goes after him, which is uh, would you like to actually debate it and talk to me and ask me questions rather than tell me in the world what you think I think. And so to their credit, the Young Turks, these uh, podcasters, at least one of the two of them, Uh, I can't remember the female's name, uh, invited him on. And you can hear it on – you can hear and watch it on YouTube at least the first 30 minutes. And I I learned so much just from that 30-minute debate. This is why the old Socratic method of teaching was so valuable. You could learn a lot through the combat and contest of ideas. One of the best ways to teach. We've gotten rid of it too. Of course, because it was good. We get rid of what works. We get rid of what's good. But anyway, I don't know if any else of you, anyone else in the audience of you have uh, have seen it or heard it. It just came out. Um, but there's two things I noticed that are really interesting. We all can stipulate that Dennis is very gifted and very smart. If you want to get a hint as to why or a clue as to why – um, notice how well he listens to every word that is being uh, sent his way, that is broadcast to him, that the this uh, female uh, podcaster, this left winger is throwing at him. She went on and on about his views that she disagrees with and kept saying, you want to force people to do this, you want to force women to do that. And before he even got to the merits of the this and the that, he said, Can we first just discuss what you mean by force, that I want to force people? And it became a really interesting slight – not I I almost want to say tangent, but it really went to the core of things and how the left and liberals do float these otherwise uh, – these words that you otherwise might just let pass you by become part of the settled wisdom. Uh, and it was it was just a fabulous fabulous moment of him putting the brakes on on her litany. Let's talk about what you mean force. All I'm doing is suggesting a way of life. I don't have the power of law. I'm not arguing for any change in law. very interesting that that was that was point one. Point two every once in a while, it does you some good to kind of understand the left wing mindset in watching left wingers when they debate. if they debate. And then rarely on those rare occurrences, when they do what they say and how they see the world as they do. Just watch that debate. You know, they live in two ve- we live in two very, very, very different worlds of fact, a fact. And that came out as well. Um, just just a couple observations. In any event, I do commend it. Um, and uh you can get it on on any video sharing device or video streaming device that's available to you. I'm Seth and A lot more coming up. Don't go away. Be right back